You're listening to the Bride Chilla Podcast, helping bride chillas and groom chillas plan their wedding minus the bullshit. One podcast at a time with your host, Alicia McCormack. That is I. I am so happy to be sharing this time with you. Thank you so much for subscribing and listening to Bride Chiller. If you are new to the show, this is episode 340. That is a lot of wedding talk. Whenever I talk about this show at my day job, I'm a TV producer by day. Well, to be honest, I don't talk about this too much because this is like another full-time job and sometimes TV is a little relentless and unforgiving for having any other interests outside of television production. However, when I do talk about this, so many of my colleagues are like, but what do you talk about for the whole time? I don't understand how you could do 340 episodes of stuff about weddings. No one talks like that at my work, by the way. That's just my go-to voice when people are asking stupid questions. But I do say to them, yeah, but Bride Chiller isn't just about wedding planning. It's about all the other stuff that surrounds wedding planning. It's a huge topic and I love talking about it and finding new things to talk about that help you, my lovely Chiller listeners. Now, today's show is a bit of a, well, it's partially a best of because I have been seeing a lot of talk lately in the Bride Chiller community, our Facebook group. If you haven't joined it, why not? What are you doing with your life? Just do it now. Keep listening, though. There's been a lot of discussions about, well, two things. One that actually quite annoys me, but I'm going to go with it and use it for this show. One is people screen sharing or screen grabbing other people's posts, which actually shits me a little bit because I feel like there's no privacy anywhere and you could write something and then someone screen grabs it and then shares and it's taken out of context and you become an evil internet villain when you're not supposed to be. But sometimes people share things that make me think. And recently there have been a spate of people sharing invitations or weird directories or directives that Couples, brides have shared saying, you can't come to my wedding unless you pay this money or you wear this color. I'll chuck people out of my wedding if you've got a bad hairstyle or you've got a bad attitude or whatever. Anywho, these images of these posts that have been going around the interwebs have sparked a lot of talk topics about how much can we say? How much can we ask? How do we not be assholes? How is this person uh, or these people doing this without their friends saying, hey, you're acting a bit weird. Your posts make you look like an asshole. Don't do it. Or please stop. So they got me thinking about etiquette and it took me back to an episode I recorded in 1986. That's not true. I would have been six years old. That'd be a weird wedding planning podcast hosted by a six-year-old. Although, great. I was a sassy kid. We probably would have enjoyed it. Would have made no sense. This episode was recorded with Cheryl Seidel, who is from registryfinder.com. She also has a an etiquette column on her blog called Ask Cheryl. Now, Cheryl is a fantastic guest. And listening back to this episode, I got so much out of it. I also laughed because I thought it was quite funny. I have to admit, some of the funny stuff was me. Yuck, I hate myself for saying that, but it's true. Etiquette chat is so huge in the bride chiller community and generally wedding planning in general. I've said general twice not editing that. And it's a great discussion. Now, you might not agree with everything we say in this episode, and that's what's so fucking good about the Bride Chiller community and the Bride Chiller ethos is that you can pick and choose what you like. But I think the ultimate message that should be taken from this is about manners, 
and about treating people, your guests, your family and friends, how you would like to be treated. And that is being mindful and thoughtful of their time, money, contribution to your wedding. And just also a little bit about, I don't know, being fancy and nice at the same time. You can still be trendy and hipster while whilst, while, whilst being, I don't know, nice. Just be nice. If Rich was in earshot, he'd be saying, nice is boring. But he's not because he's watching football right now. So I'm going to carry on. Just want to say before we head to the episode, thank you for everyone who has left lovely reviews and ratings on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify. I really appreciate it. I read them all. As with the people who have purchased Bride Chiller Guides and merch, if you are sent an email saying, please, please, will you please review this item? That would be really weird if an email popped up and my voice saying in that accent, asking you to review. Maybe I'd get more reviews. I don't know. But I want to say thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed the books. It really helps because we've got lots of people joining the Bride Chiller community who have never heard this podcast. And I try and encourage them. And who might be new to the ethos of Bride Chiller, people gifting Bride Chiller books to other people. And it's just nice to read your reviews. So, you know, people might buy them. Bridechillerstore.com is where you can purchase your Bride Chiller guides and uh, you can also leave reviews there as well. On to the program. Cheryl Seidel is the founder and president of registryfinder.com, an intuitive search engine that helps gift givers quickly and easily find online registries for weddings, baby showers, graduations and more, which I will ask her about in the interview. Cheryl is also a uh, contributor to the Huffington Post and get this drum roll, that's my drum roll, an etiquette expert. Cheryl, welcome to the Bride Chiller podcast. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. (laughs) As I said, I have been answering my lovely listeners' questions and also getting wedding bloggers and and planners on too. But I feel like, you know, you might be the perfect fit for this podcast. Well, thank you. There are so many etiquette questions that come up. Um, On my blog, Ash Cheryl, people write into me all the time with wedding etiquette and gift questions. So hopefully I can help your listeners. Uh, I no doubt. And I have been reading a lot of these questions on Ask Cheryl, and I love your responses. They're always very warm and candid, but also you put people in their place, and I like that. Sometimes I hold back a little bit. <laughs> sometimes it's hard not It's hard to. Well, so I'm going to be, and I'm not, no disrespect to the question askers, but sometimes I think, and this, I'm going to use my grandmother's phrase, and please don't take it the wrong way, listeners, but sometimes she would go, oh, you've been, are you born in a tent? Did I raise you in a tent? <laughs> Because you think, where are these people learning their manners? They're asking questions that I think are quite common and normal everyday things. What Have we taken a weird path in society, Cheryl? It seems so. It seems that we are not educating, being educated about manners and etiquette anymore. Mm. Um, I know people do ask me questions that I think maybe should be intuitive, but they're just not anymore. And I think society has changed so much yeah. with technology and, you know, the just the mobile society, everyone's moving, living apart. I think people are just confused. They don't know what to do anymore. That's a good point about living apart and also being physically on devices. You know, we spend all our time looking at iPhones and Android things and, you know, we're not really connecting with people one-on-one as much as I suppose we were doing even five years ago. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that um, 
mobile or device etiquette is evolving um, at a rapid rate now over um, person-to-person etiquette. Mm, it is. And, and you know, what really, and I'm going to use some swears here, Cheryl, because this is how I feel about it, gives me the shits, is when you are going into a shop or a retail outlet and you see people you know, going, doing, transacting, but not actually looking at the person they're giving the money to. I just think that is such a rude thing to do. Or they're on the phone going, yeah, 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 and pay, paying the money. What's happened? Well, we can't just put the phone down and have some communication anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I think that we are just not thinking. Mm. We're not thinking of the other person. We are, we are all consumed with what we're doing. And we've got to start looking up and thinking about what's going on around us. Couldn't agree more. And and Cheryl, I couldn't agree more with you saying, I think manners are the foundation of society. Once we let go of that stuff, I think it's just we're all animals. <laughs> <laughs> it's like- I, agree. I agree. I mean, manners are and etiquette is set up so that we can interact with each other and make other people feel comfortable. And I think even a little bit, make us less selfish, make us think about the other person maybe a little bit above ourselves. Yes. And maybe that, that's where where we're going wrong is where maybe we're a little too self-centered. Oh, tell me about it, especially and self-absorbed and self-obsessed with all the selfies and all that sort of stuff happening. And and uh, and, and I'm, we're going to get to weddings as well, obviously. This is what we're talking about. But one thing I did, it made me think about our interview. I was, um, I don't drive in London very often, but I was doing a, a bit of uh, freelance work where I had to drive around and it was crazy driving in the inner city. But the one thing that really makes it pleasant when you're on the road and you let someone in, they give you the thank you wave. And I just think without that thank you wave, it could get pretty nasty on the roads. I think there's a whole Seinfeld episode about that. (laughs) Yes, there is. Good on you, Cheryl. I love a Seinfeld fan. It's good. (laughs) All right, let's get to weddings. Okay. I, the way I, I was thinking about about etiquette and looking at etiquette online and everyone has an opinion about what you should and shouldn't do. So today I thought I'd call the episode New Etiquette and we could go through some of the, the, the non-negotiables when it comes to etiquette and some of the things we could just chuck by the wayside. How do you feel about that, Cheryl? That sounds great. Good. So let's let's kick it off with some of the old school perhaps antiquated ideas of etiquette. What are some of the things that you think we are just ditching that aren't unnecessary? Well, I think that um, some of the things we're ditching are the formalities that used to be the standard. Maybe wording on invitations, vows are different now, the ceremonies are different. You know, these are really traditions and traditions evolve. And I think that in, when it comes to the actual wedding, you can really do what you want as long as you are being considerate of others. Mm-hmm. So the trend is really now to personalize the wedding to your own unique personality, expressing yourself, you know, and everybody wants a unique wedding. So that's one of the things that I think we are ditching is, is weddings being really formal. And it is funny when you go to a wedding and it is formal, it sort of throws me. I've been to a few recently and gone, oh, wow, we're still doing this. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yes, a trend that I don't think is going to change is that couples want to express themselves. And so, and I love it. I think when it, it that makes it personal, that makes it about them. And I think it's wonderful. I wonder where it's going to be. I, I One question I like to ask a lot of my wedding planning guests. So what do you think wedding's going to be like in 50 years? <laughs> that is a good question. I think we have seen, we saw that trend in the 90s where it, everything was so over the top and people mm-hmm. were spending such inordinate amounts of money. 
And then we are now seeing a trend back to more rustic and basic casual weddings. In 50 years, I think we might be getting married over Skype. Ooh, well, I'm sure, you know, I had a, a, one of my guests on um, as, as a celebrant called Josh Withers, and he performed the very first Twitter wedding. Twitter wedding? <laughs> yes. <laughs> he, it was called a tweeting, and it was a couple of years ago, but he was the celebrant and they, or the registrar, if you want to call it, the registrant, and he, yeah, he performed this wedding. Uh, they were in different places and... Oh, gosh, I just sort of said to Josh, you know, that's crazy. I had not heard of that. That is interesting. (laughs) I don't know if we're all going to be doing that, but I agree. Maybe (laughs) Skype weddings, that's it, over the – maybe we'll all be in some sort of virtual reality. Yeah. All your guests are virtual. Yeah. We wouldn't have to feed them. It could be cheaper, Cheryl. (laughs) Yes, it could be. And I think another thing that's really falling by the wayside is the the custom of who pays. Mm. You know, it always was a tradition that the bride's family paid. And so basically then they were the host and they set the rules and it was, you know, all the decisions were made. But now it's, you know, couples are waiting to get married till they're a little bit older. They're already established in their careers. They may be living together. So couples are paying for their own weddings. And now it's really common for the bride's parents to pitch in, the groom's parents, you know, or the couple to pay for themselves. So I think... That is one, you know, one of the reasons that the formalities are changing because the bri- the the couples are now maybe in more control of what's going on. Do you think that, and especially having read some of the questions that are submitted to ask Cheryl, a lot of the questions are about the etiquette of money, and then the if people are contributing, how much of a say? And this is a question I get as well: how much of a say people get when they say, "Well, here's five thousand dollars, but now you must do this." How does that work? Oh, that is more of a psychologist question. (laughs) But, um, you know, that money and family, those are tricky subjects. I think you just have to be totally upfront. I recommend that you sit down with whoever is contributing and you have the money discussion. This is what we want to do. This is how much it's going to cost and get it all out there. There will be tense moments and there will be decisions that have to be made. And you, as a couple, you may have to compromise if you're not paying for it. But hopefully your parents or whoever is wants you to have the wedding you want so they will give in and, you know, acquiesce to that. I couldn't, and I, I, you know, that five minutes of having that awkward conversation can save so much trouble along the lines of not having to deal with them being funny if you haven't c- communicated that to them down the track. It, it's got to be easier in the long run. I think most disappointments and most anger comes from unmet expectations. So if you set the expectations up front, then there are no hard feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. What about, um, older family members? Cause I think etiquette is one of those things that y- you hear the word and the people often will now think of the Dowager Countess from Downton Abbey or something. <laughs> I love her. I, she's the best. <laughs> one of one of my favorite lines from that show I think it was from the first season they were talking about the weekend and she went what is a weekend I don't know what, what is a weekend oh she, she's so posh writers are so clever with oh, her lines 
she's so sassy. She's the original sassy broad, I think, in a very tight dress and very, very formal. But that is the thing about etiquette. I think Jen White, I don't want to get all old lady on everyone here, but it is the word etiquette people think is stuffy and and, uh, contrived. But how has that changed now from new etiquette, I suppose, what our grandparents were calling etiquette to what we have now? Is, 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 Is there a way to find a balance between it all? Well, as I think I said this before, but etiquette is really being considerate of other people and making other people feel comfortable. So in my opinion, when you have an older um, generation who's involved, maybe your grandparents, your parents, the important thing is to recognize what they might feel uncomfortable with. And again, have that dialogue about it. Yeah. You know, you it makes them think that or feel that you understand and recognize them and value them. I think that's important. The conversation is key. Just the effort that you're considering your feelings, I think, goes a long way to smooth things over. I don't think your grandmother will may never understand why you didn't get married in the church. You want her to be happy and be there. Her smile, her kiss is years down the road is going to mean the world to you. So it's all about balance and, and balancing the family with what you want to do. I don't I, I really think you need to include some kind of traditions that are unique to your family because I think those are where the memories are created. And and new, and I think creating new traditions is also pretty cool too. It really is. And I, I think there's a lot of opportunities for that today. Now, I want to talk about registering and uh, you are the lady to talk about it. So after this very short break, we will get on to that topic. I'm talking to the wonderful Cheryl Seidel. She is an etiquette expert and uh, I would say an expert on gifts and registry, which is a very big topic when it comes to etiquette as well. More after this short break. Cheryl, you uh, have, start, have started. You're the CEO, the boss lady of registryfinder.com. What is this wonderful business? Well, as you may know that um, in the U.S., but maybe in U.K. and Australia as well. It is absolutely an etiquette faux pas to include registry information in or with your wedding invitation. Okay, so let's let's stop there because I think a lot of people do that and are we all breaking the rules? (gasps) You do not see that here in the U.S. Wow, okay, this is fantastic. All right, carry on, Cheryl. I received a wedding invitation from the son of a friend, and I wanted to buy them a gift. And there are many different customs, even within the U.S., about what constitutes you know, the right type of gift. So I wanted to get them something they were re- for which they were registered, but I didn't know where. So I started researching the area they were getting married. You know, I'm not the kind of person that wants to pick up the phone and call somebody. I don't – I'm – you could call me antisocial. I don't really think I am, but – so I – um I started doing a lot of research. I found where they were registered, and I just thought, you know, there has to be a better way. Why can't you just Google where someone's registered? Sure. So I I did some research, and I found out there wasn't really anything like that. So I decided to create it. The traditional way to get the word out about where you were registered was through word of mouth, your parents, your attendants. But now that we all live so far, you know, away from each other, Mm. and you're not in a a small town where everybody knows you and everybody knows your mother – you know, that type of word of mouth isn't very practical anymore. So this kind of solves that problem. It's an elegant way to find out where someone's registered, where the bride and groom don't have to worry about how people are getting the word. 
and you don't have to worry about bothering them. Well, I think this is a fantastic idea. I'm also a little disappointed in myself for not knowing that that was a rude thing to do. In Australia, and I I will say I have received lots of wedding invitations with a little special note tucked in saying, if you want to buy a gift, this is where we're registered. But I didn't realize that was a huge social faux pas. Well, it is here. It is <laughs> it is considered to take the emphasis away from the day and the the ceremony and putting the emphasis on gifts. Mm. So maybe it's unique to the US. Look, I love I mean, look, I love learning about all the different well, again, these etiquette, all the different sort of traditions and trends that go on all over the world and you know, you betcha, Cheryl, people let me know if I'm wrong. <laughs> I've got very keen listeners that go, well, that's not how we do it in Canada. I think, oh, gosh, I've forgotten Canada. I'm sorry. So you would see a lot of, well, you'd probably see a lot of, I want to say content. You'd see what people are registering for. What are some of the trends that you see? What are some of the surprises of of gifts that people are asking for? Well, just like couples are expressing their personality through their wedding, they're also doing that through their registries. Um, Alternative registries are extremely popular here. They're registering for outdoor equipment if they're an outdoor enthusiast, maybe a wine registry if they want to collect wine. Um, Maybe um, they want to, you know, they don't need a lot of household goods, so they want to go on a special honeymoon, so they're creating a honeymoon registry. So I think what we're seeing is that couples now are creating, along with their traditional registry, some types of alternative registries. That's great because a lot of people, you know, we're in the modern world. A lot of people live together before they get married. They've already collected all the household stuff. And sometimes it's uncomfortable saying, we don't need another crock pot or a George Foreman grill. Please stop. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. But we have to remember our etiquette that we can't really dictate Mm. what people give us. That's always up to the gift giver. So if we get that third crock pot, we can always discreetly return it there's a place called ebay (laughs) awesome weird beige i remember we got some weird beige sheets not sheets they were towels and they were just a bit nana but they're really good for spare towels when people come to visit and you go they're a little strange not necessarily our style but thank you one of the big things that i get questions about all the time are bridesmaids about money related to bridesmaids, what the bride should cover, what the the bridesmaids uh, should cover. And I think you probably get similar sort of questions. Can you put to rest some of these etiquette issues when it comes to the bridal party? Yes, this seems to be a huge topic in the last few years. Mm. I think that brides really have unrealistic expectations. I really totally blame the movie 27 Dresses. <laughs> I blame it for a lot. I blame that movie for a lot of other things too. <laughs> Not that I didn't love the movie. I really sure. did. But. They're asking a lot of your gal friends, really. We've started to be, I think, unreasonable, haven't we? I believe so. I get questions like, why won't my bridesmaids help me? Yeah. Really, the bridesmaids, it's a, it's really an honorary position where you ask your friend to stand up with you. It evolved from the time of when you needed a witness. So you would have one friend there with you to sign actually the marriage license but um and then it's become you know it's gotten a little out of control but the bridesmaids are responsible really for purchasing their dress showing up to the wedding on time 
you know, it's kind of like being a hostess yeah. where they go around the party if there is one and, and make sure your guests are taken care of. Um, but they're really not responsible for throwing you a, a bridal shower or throwing you a bachelorette party, although that does happen because they're your friends and they want to do it. But if you, ex- it's a, all about expectations not being met. If you think your bridesmaids are now your employees where you can give delegate tasks to them, you're sadly mistaken. I've been referring to them as bride slaves because I think that's how a lot of brides see them as going, you're my bitches now, you will come and do whatever I say and if it's unreasonable, you know, and they treat them in a way that I don't think they would treat them in everyday friendship. It's it's bizarro. I have seen friendships ruined mm. over the bride-bridemaid relationship. I you know, I'm going to date myself. I'm not going to say in my day. Oops, I just did. <laughs> really, in the past, there were no expectations of the bridesmaids so that they showed up and looked pretty. I mm. and they, you know, you could but you called on them to help you because they were your friends, not because they were had this designation all of a sudden. Yeah. And, and and looked a certain way or had right. so much money to spend on an item. I read an article, I think it was actually on HuffPost, saying that the average bridesmaid is now asked to spend $3,000 of their own money. And I nearly spat out my coffee. That is true. My daughter is going in debt being a bridesmaid. No, Cheryl, it's Absolutely. awful. The reason is that there's now these expectations. I don't know when our society got so affluent, but... There's now these expectations that you have to have a destination bachelorette party. Yeah. A destination bridal shower. Ridiculous. And by the time you buy the plane ticket to the bachelorette party, pay for the bachelorette party, the hotel, the dress, the, you know, gift, the flight to the wedding. I mean, it's, you've spent a few thousand dollars. And it's also time off work as well, because I think the expectations are, oh, we'll all leave on a Friday morning and we'll come back on a Monday and it'll be an extended thing. When you add it all up and then, as you said, then there's the actual wedding gifts and all this other stuff. It's crazy. It is crazy. I really think brides and grooms should be very considerate of their attendance. You know, have the money again, have that money conversation ahead of time after you've decided where your wedding is and what kind of wedding you want. And be very gracious. And if someone says, I can't afford it, say, that's fine. We understand. We want you there. But we understand if you can't be part of the bridal party. And I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but it is really hard if you've been in a financial position where you don't have as much money. I, I mean, I have been a career freelancer where sometimes the times are good and sometimes the times are a little tight. And it's really hard to say to friends, oh, I actually don't have the money to to do that. And like you said, your daughter's going into debt for a friend. I mean, that's a, a crazy sacrifice and such a generous thing to do, but terrible she has to do that. You're right. She does feel like she can't say no. Yeah, it's really hard. Come on, people. Come on, people. Let's get back to reality. (laughs) I think we need to dial down our expectations a little bit. Unless you're wealthy and your parents are going to pay for it, I would not expect your bridal party to go to several destinations in the course of pre-wedding festivities. And also it's exhausting. It's nice to think about it, but also I I can't convey, and I'm sure you've said it as well in your um, Ask Cheryl blog, that it is a really, especially the weeks before wedding time, it's it's really tiring. There's a lot going on. And to be getting on and off planes and going and having 24 hours in an exotic city where you probably can get a tummy bug and drink some bad cocktails and be hungover, I don't know if we all need to do that physically. (laughs) 
Well, destination weddings are on the rise, and they have become wedding weekends. I, yes. I do. I think that they also need to consider that your bridal party, some of them may have two or three weddings to go to in a season. Yes. So that's another reason maybe to dial it back a bit. And also have kids to look after and jobs to keep. So that's true. Wake up, couples. Look, that's my word. Now, here's one thing I forgot to ask you talking about registries. Is it acceptable to register for gifts if you're on to your second or third wedding? No judgment. Absolutely. It is absolutely acceptable because marriages today come in all different variations. And up to 40% of weddings are really second and third marriages. So you may have um, one member of the wedding party that has never been married before and one that has, or, you know, they may still be young. And if you feel comfortable registering, it's absolutely fine to register. Some people that I know who are getting married maybe later in life, in their 50s, they don't really feel comfortable doing it. You know, they're established, you know, but people want to buy you gifts so if you register, that just helps your guests. Yeah. How do we ask for money? That's probably the biggest question. <laughs> well, how do I ask you to how to ask for money? I feel guilty <laughs> asking you that question just then. But we all want to know, can we ask for money? Well, that's a good question. And the answer is pretty simple. You don't really ask for anything, including money. Yes. <laughs> um, I've written a, I just um, posted a blog from a, a um, Question from a reader, how do I let people know where I'm registered? It's the same answer. You don't. Yeah. You, if someone asks you, then you say, we are trying to save for a down payment. So we prefer cash, but anything you choose to give us will be fine. You know, if someone asks you, you can tell them that. Or, you know, there are a huge number of websites popping up that are just for that purpose where couples can register and basically there may be registering for items but in fact it's actually cash that you're getting yeah we we did we used a site called not another toaster and it was one of those websites because we had everything we needed we would really like to go on a honeymoon and people bought us experiences which was really lovely because we could then write in our thank you card saying thank you for that wonderful beachside dinner or thank you for the tour or it it made it a lot less uh, sorry a lot more personal and a lot less sort of hard sort of just saying thank you for the fifty (laughs) dollars Yes, it really depends on the culture that, you know, you're raised in or getting married in. I mean, some in some cultures in the United States, cash is the only gift they give. Yeah. If you don't, then something's wrong with you. And in <laughs> other cultures, like where I'm from, cash is considered rude. Yeah. When you give a gift. It's strange. But I think that, that you hit the key, that, the, the, um, that you express sincere thanks and having that alternative registry where you could register for an experience – make helps the gift giver to be connected with what they gave you. Mm. So gift givers want to give something that they feel connected to. So, and that they think you will enjoy or that you will use. So I think an appreciative, well-written thank you note is really the key to appreciating the guest gift, whatever it is. And that, and you, and you have then hit the nail on the head, as you just said, again, the fact that people, some people are very lax in sending those thank you cards and, I have waited, and I don't want to be a bit of a prude, but, you know, two or three months to get a thank you card back. And I think, personally, that's a little too long. Well, in today's society, I feel that's a little too long as well. I mean, most etiquette experts will say two to three months is okay, but better, you know, sooner is better than later. Yeah. Um, 
you know, the handwritten thank you is one of those non-negotiable, non-negotiable etiquette items. You cannot thank in an email, and you should do it as quickly as possible. Preferably, as soon as you open the gift, you should sit down and write that thank you note. Yeah. Because it leaves people wondering, did they get my gift? Um, and then they feel, oh, should I ask? You know, did the card get lost? You know, it, it's very important that the thank you comes as soon as possible. Yeah, and especially, as you said, if they're sending cash, you don't want to be going, gee, I put $200 in an envelope and no one's ever thanked me for it. Did they get it? Who knows? Yeah, hopefully you'll send a check. Yeah. Cash is not a good idea. Yeah, I know. I, my mother-in-law sending cash across. This is a message to the Royal Mail in London. Sometimes my mother-in-law sends us cash, and we're like, you can't do that. There's thieves. <laughs> Stop sending it. Use PayPal. Uh-oh, people are going to be outside your box. <laughs> yeah, good luck. It's not happening every week. Um, sure, that you also brought up a good point. I could talk to you all day, by the way, because there's so many different questions that I'm popping into my head now. But you did bring up the subject of not sending thank yous in an email. When is it appropriate to be sending wedding correspondence via the email, if at all? In an email, you can discuss wedding details, where to, you know, get a hotel room, um, those types of things. But the invitation and thank you should always be sent in the mail. The wedding invitation should be hand-addressed and the thank you note should be handwritten. And if, if someone can't attend a wedding and you know that, is it still etiquette to send the invitation anyway? I think that depends on the circumstance. I would say yes, but you might want to put in a note. We know you're not able to attend, but if circumstances change, know that we'd love to have you there. Something like that. That's nice. One question I've been asked a few times, and I think it's quite common, is if I invite a lot of gals to my bridal shower or hen's night or bachelorette, do I have to invite them to the wedding? And I think we can both collectively say yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> a bridal shower is a gift-giving event. So if you are close enough to invite them to be invited to your shower, they should definitely be on the wedding guest list. You yes. don't need to invite every woman on your wedding guest list to the shower, but if they are invited to the shower, they must also be invited to the wedding. Yeah, it's pretty I, – I, my husband a few years ago was invited to a bachelor party uh, and was not invited to the wedding, and we were, were thinking, well, that's pretty weird, and – you know, maybe it was the guys just not really getting the idea of etiquette and being a bit disconnected with that, but I found that quite strange. I think the reason this question is coming up so much recently is because of destination weddings. People are having smaller weddings at a where they have to go away and spend a lot of money, so they don't invite as many people, mm. but yet they have friends or mom's friends at home who may want to celebrate and be part of the shower. So it gets a little tricky now because they're inviting fewer guests. Yeah. And I think also Facebook and uh, Instagram and all these things can get people in trouble when they're not being invited to things and then they see them on the internet. Keep, keep your wedding off social media. That's <laughs> Yes, <not> a... <laughs> I agree. I feel like it's the one day where you can just pop the phone in the handbag. There's a photographer to capture everything. You're not going to miss out. Just enjoy the day. True. And all the pre-wedding details too. Do not... Do not plaster your Facebook and Twitter with wedding details because you offend people who aren't invited. Yes. And you're, frankly, they get sick of it. Oh, you said it, Cheryl. I think I always equate wedding planning gaff and naff stuff on in social media, like telling people about your dreams. No one really gives a shit, seriously. <laughs> 
Hopefully your best friend does. Yeah, that's true. But you know when someone goes, oh, I had this amazing dream last night, and you're like, <laughs> snoring. But it is that idea of initially you get engaged and everyone's like, woohoo, let's go. And then when you're into month eight of going, no, I was choosing this tablecloth. And they're also just going, oh, I'm going to need you to be quiet now just for a while. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> I, I remember saying to one bride, no matter how much your friends love you, they are never going to be as excited about your wedding as you are. Exactly. And it's like babies as well. Let's extend that to your beautiful babies. They're lovely, but I don't need to hear every time that little Danny does a poo, honestly. <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> um, one question I have is always, it always intrigues me, is about the plus one, bringing a date to the wedding. Now, I know this has sort of changed a little bit now. A lot of the time people actually say, we're inviting uh, Brian and Stacey. Uh, but when it comes to the plus one, what is the etiquette around surrounding that? Does it still exist? Are we giving people an option? How does it work? It's really totally dependent on the bra- the couple and their budget. Mm. Um If someone is in a committed relationship, but not married, but they live together or they've been together a long time, it's you, it's, this is one area of etiquette that has evolved where you should name them on the invitation and invite them as well. Yeah. If, you know, you have no obligation to, to offer a plus one to anyone, you know, traditional etiquette states that everybody should be named on the invitation, at, at least on the inner envelope. So, if you sent it to, you know, Miss Annette Smith on the invitation, you might say Annette Smith and Brian Jones. Mm-hmm. But because that's her um, significant other, maybe they've been dating a long time. Now, um, you know, some people want people to be able to have a date at a wedding. And if they have the budget for that, there is nothing wrong with that. And they can say Annette Smith and guest. So, You know, it's up to the couple, but here's the etiquette faux pas to avoid. If you receive an invitation and you are the only one invited, you may not call or write on your response card that you are bringing a plus one. (laughs) Plus the guy I just met on Tinder last week. Yay. (laughs) And if you meet a guy the month before the wedding and you fall madly in love, you may not call your friend and say, hey, can I bring this guy that I'm now madly in love with to my wedding? Your wedding? No, don't do it. if there's singles used to go to weddings and meet people. Now they want to have someone with them. I don't know why, but, um, you know, think of it as an opportunity to meet someone new. You do not have to bring a date. Yeah. I think third dates are for restaurants, not for your cousin's wedding. Basically. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> oh my Lord. Cheryl, it has been such a pleasure. As I said, I really could talk to you all day. I've got another 50 questions that have just popped into mind, which makes me think we should do this again. I would love that. I would love that. And I would say to my lovely listeners uh, that you should, well, firstly, check out Cheryl, Ask Cheryl, firstly, and that is at registryfinder.com slash blog, if I am correct. Correct. You are correct. So you can ask Cheryl a question. And if you want to ask Cheryl a question verbally, that sounds a bit weird, write to me, savethedatepodcast.com, and say we would like Cheryl to answer it, and I will get Cheryl back on, and we will have this wonderful question, and she can answer some of your etiquette conundrums, and I will not get myself in trouble by giving the wrong answers. (laughs) Sounds like you know what you're talking about. Cheryl, if people do want to get in touch with you outside of the podcast, how do we do that? You can just email me at asksheryl at registryfinder.com. 
beautiful. I think we've covered quite a lot today, but there's always there are always interesting topics that pop up in my inbox and go, oh, never thought about that before. That's true. There are sometimes extenuating circumstances that create, you know, questions in your mind like, oh, how do I solve that? And mm. I never heard of that before. And usually involving divorce and families. <laughs> it does. It usually involves interpersonal relationships. Yes. You are We've become some sort of pseudo counselors going, gosh, I hope we've made the right decision. Sometimes when I answer questions that readers send me, I I feel unqualified because they are actually questions for a therapist, not for me. (laughs) Well, maybe we should do a little special going, babe, just a disclaimer, we are not qualified therapists. We're just lovely people. That's a good idea. Good. Well, there, we've made the disclaimer. Don't go and make some huge life decisions. Although I feel we're qualified to say, hey, here's what we do wedding-wise. You know, take it easy. Thanks, Cheryl, and happy days. Thank you. Thank you for having me. The Bridechilla Podcast, empowering you to kick wedding planning ass every day. Here are some things you will not read in the Bridechilla Survival Guide. I'm not touting that you must follow all traditions blindly. I'm not telling you how to plan a perfect day because that doesn't exist. I'm also not promising that wedding planning will be easy all the time or that you will enjoy it all the time because that would be a lie. The Bridechiller Survival Guide is bullshit free. It tells it like it is. It's straightforward. Can I use any more descriptions of the same thing over and over again? It's the book that I wanted to read when we were getting hitched, and I'm so proud to be sharing it with you. To purchase your very own copy, visit bridechillerstore.com. And if you know someone that's getting hitched, it's a fantastic engagement gift, might I just add upselling basically the bridechiller home shopping network bridechillerstore.com happy days